Um, how many people here deal with anxiety in, in one way, shape, or form? We all do, right? I mean, we all get anxious about something. Last night, we were at Walmart, and they were playing the Seahawks and Falcons game. And uh, Falcons were winning, but then the, the, the Seahawks, Russell Wilson throws this pass really deep, and it's like this touchdown, and I'm like, filled with this really shallow anxiety. Like, they're going to come back because the Seahawks are the worst. Um, yeah, you guys don't know football, then that doesn't make any sense. The point was, I was like, oh, <gasps> like something's going to happen. One of the most anxious, uh, anxious moments of my life, the, the times where I feel the most anxious, is when I pull up to the drive through window with my family at a restaurant. I love my family. I love them to death. They are the best. Get us to the drive through intercom system, and it we devolve into Lord of the Flies situation. Like, nobody knows what they want. I can't decide. Everybody's telling me at the same time, like, what they want. I want a Whopper. We're at, we're at McDonald's. Like, it's just, and, I'm, and this lady's like, can I help you? And every second that there's, a de, there's no, like, dead air is like, it's like an eternity. Like, oh my gosh. And then finally get the order out, and then we get through, and that we don't have to do that again until next time. It's this, this I, don't, I don't know if it's stage fright, I don't know what it is, but that talking through that machine and that not seeing the person and then them not being able to hear you and the, the shakiness of, the, of the, the audio quality and, and everybody kind of trying to say something at once, it's just very, very, very chaotic. I want to use that as a jumping off point about us talking to the Lord, us talking to God. Um... Because today we're going to talk about what we believe based on the word about prayer. And the world, the world has a lot to say about prayer. You know, when, when there's a tragedy, uh, you know, a, a, another mass shooting or a bomb scare or threat or actual bomb going off somewhere, one of the first things that people say is, you know, uh, some political figure, president, whatever, condemns the actions. Their prayers and thoughts are with the families and the victims, right? And so prayer can be a very general term or a very general idea. I mean, Muslims pray and Buddhists pray and Mormons pray and, and, and even non-affiliated, vaguely spiritual, spiritual people pray. And Christians pray, but why is it different for us and the rest of the world? Or is it even different for us than it is for the rest of the world? It absolutely is different for us. It absolutely is best exercised and experienced by Christians, not because we're special in the sense that we just have secret knowledge, but as we'll talk about in just a moment, we were once distant from God. Though we were created in his image, that image was tainted and wrecked by sin. The Bible tells us that, uh, and, and many of you are reading this right now because your Bible plan, beginning of the year, trying to read the word, Adam and Eve were created in this beautiful, wonderful garden, given a simple command to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, to not eat the tree of eat from the tree of life. They did that anyways. They were uh, disciplined by the Lord, kicked out of the garden, and from then on out, sin has existed. As I've read Genesis these last couple of weeks, since the beginning of the year, I was hit with a sense of heartbrokenness as I read it, like I never have before. 
Like, I kind of read it before, like a textbook. Okay, this happened, this happened, this happened. I see the theological implications. I see the, the basis of arguments that Paul and Peter and John and, and even Jesus himself makes based on these Old Testament scriptures. But as I read that, I, I read that as, as a father reading an account of their children. I thought about God and I thought about, and I thought about Cain and Abel being born. And, you know, after this judgment of God upon Adam and Eve, you know, it says that Adam named his wife Eve, meaning like mother of all or, or, or one that gives birth type of a thing. Like I'm butchering that, I'm sorry. But, but basically given this, this great prophetic promise that she would be the, not just a, a woman who would have painful childbirth, but she would be this woman whom through God would create people. And so she has these boys, Cain and Abel, and they grow up and there's this moment where they bring an offering to the Lord. Understand that this is just extra homework for you. At this moment when they're doing this, there is no temple, there's no, there's no Ten Commandments, there's no, you know, offer a sacrifice in this way. These are just two boys who just saw their parents give offerings, so they were copying it, and Cain brings the vegetables, and, 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 and Abel brings the animal sacrifice, and God is pleased with Abel and not Cain, and out of jealousy, Cain does offer up a blood sacrifice in the form of his brother, he murders his brother out of anger and spite and, and, and it's just heartbreaking, isn't it? I mean, you read through that and you go, man, like, it did, it's not like we slowly devolved into sin and things are getting progressively worse. I mean, it got worse on like seemingly day one. Brother killed his own brother because he was mad at God because God wouldn't accept his sacrifice. And so prayer was shattered by sin. The, the lines of communication between us and God were completely severed and disconnected. Now I want to tread lightly here. I know that there are non-Christians who have probably prayed and seen some result from their prayer and I'm not here to limit God as to who he's going to answer and why he's going to answer. There are certainly things that God does that I simply cannot explain. You know, non-Christians who would say, I said this prayer, this miracle happened. Did, this doesn't make them any more a Christian than anybody else because they still don't believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but yet I see God moving on their behalf. And so like I say, I'm not here to, to judge anyone's experience, but generally speaking, that connection was broken in the same way that Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. We were kicked out of this, this relationship with God. The Bible says that it's, it's enmity, war, division, that, that there isn't this, you know, soft-spoken God who just serves us and, and does our bidding somewhere in the sky that we can't see but is there, like Santa Claus, like if, you're, if your Jesus is more like Santa than Savior, you, you've, you're doing it wrong. That's not whom we serve, and prayer does not exist in kind of that spiritual, ethereal place either. Prayer is direct and specific, and how we do it is very, very, very important. Now, I could take the legalist route and say, okay, here are all the things you have to do so that your prayer is heard by God. I'm here to, to describe prayer to you, to teach you about prayer. If you think, well, I already know about prayer. The disciples walked with Jesus for a really long time, and then one day said, teach us how to pray, Lord. 
in the presence of the Son of God himself, they still needed instruction on how to pray. Today, we need instruction on on how to pray, why we pray, what prayer looks like, and what we should expect from prayer. So I want you to turn to Philippians chapter four, verse four. And as you turn there, this is a very popular verse within the church. Uh, I find myself coming back to this verse time and time again. Uh, It is one of those verses that if you would memorize it, it would do yourself good um, to remember where this is and where to find it and maybe even uh, quote it word for word so that you can remind yourself of the promises of God uh, when you are in distress. Philippians 4 and 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, even drive throughs but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let, a, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There is this massive, I don't want to call it assumption, but this massive assumption in the word that we would be creatures of prayer, that we would pray, that we would have communion, connection, communication with God Almighty, not, not one of his angels, not a prophet or a pastor or, a, or another human being uh, to connect us to God, but directly to God himself. Today, if you are a Christian, if you have given your life to Jesus, if you have placed your faith in his cross and what he's done, his death, burial, and resurrection, if today you are a Christian, today you have access to the Father like nobody else, except for other Christians. <laughs> You have access unlike you did before that moment. Before that moment, your access was probably just about salvation. The Lord waiting for you to call upon his name, sending you his grace, sending you his mercy that you might know him so that one day you might call out upon his name. The word says you won't be put to shame if you do that. And you gave your life to the Lord and you were born again. In the same way, you don't hear a baby's cry until it's actually born and exit exits his mother's womb the same way that that your voice is muted before you meet God and are born again so prayer goes from being something vague in general then we meet Jesus and it becomes very very specific literally all prayer is is just talking to God You may have come from a certain religious background or denomination where prayer is very formal. You know, you do very specific things at a very specific time in order to be heard by God. And some of you now, even if you've learned that that's not necessarily how you have to pray, it's hard to not pray that way because you've just, it's been ingrained and you want to, you want to make sure you're heard by God. All of us want to make sure God hears us. I mean, nobody wants to just pray and just send words out into the ether and hope that maybe his ear catches wind of some of them. None of us wants to think that maybe we're going to pray and God's just not going to hear us at all. Maybe, maybe if we're, God, do I, do I get the power steering or not? Do I, you know, do I, do I go for the, 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 the 5.9 financing, percent financing, or do I get a shorter term loan? With the, I mean, maybe those prayers were like, yeah, okay, but, but, Lord, they say it might be cancer. Lord, they say it might be this. Lord, this, the doctors say I, I might ha- only have so much to live. The, the, the bank is saying they can't extend our loan anymore. We're going to lose the house. Those prayers, we want to make sure that God hears and does something about them. 
Lord, my children, Lord, my marriage, Lord, this, Lord. I mean, we want to make sure that when we speak to the Lord, he hears us. One of the wrong approaches we have to prayer is that we see God like the Santa Claus or like the, the vending machine. I come in and the prayer is my coins and I put it in the thing and I press A, nine and I get the Kit Kat bar and that's how it works with God. I come and I bring the prayer and I press the right number, I say the right prayer and then God gives me what I want. There are no formulas to guarantee that God will answer your prayer specifically as you have asked and requested it in the word of God. There is no way to guarantee God will answer your prayer with one minor exception. And I say minor, I actually mean a major exception. That you would know the will of God and pray for that. The best example we have of that is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he is to be crucified. He's in this garden. He goes with his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. He tells them to wait here. I'm gonna go a little further and pray. They fall asleep. He goes, the Bible says he begins to sweat great drops of blood. Literally, the capillaries of his skin are breaking, mixing with his sweat as he is anticipating what he's about to do. And he actually prays to God the Father, you know, let this cup pass from me. Meaning, can we do this another way? Do, we, do I have to be crucified for the sins of the earth? Do I have to be crucified for the sins of mankind? Is there another way? Can this cup be passed from me? But then he resolves, he ends it with, not my will be done, your will be done. So in essence, that prayer is answered because ultimately what Jesus wants, the son, he wants what the father wants. For me as a Christian, my job is to find what God wants and then start praying for that. I don't know what he holds in store for your marriages and your health and your finances. You know, if you need money, I'm gonna pray you get more. If you're sick, I'm gonna pray you're healthy. If you're on the verge of divorce, I'm gonna pray that you reconcile. If you're lonely, I'm gonna pray that you would have friends. If you're, if you're depressed, I'm gonna pray that the Lord would give you joy. I'm just going to do those things because that's the best way that I know how. But here's what I know. As I read the word, I see people going through long journeys. I see men like Moses for 40 years wandering on the wrong side of a hill, being refined by the Lord. I'm sure he prayed, his wife probably prayed, his father-in-law probably prayed. I mean, that's speculation, but for the most part, there was no instantaneous answer. It took these great amount of years to where he was prepared to finally be in a place where he'd see a burning bush that wasn't being consumed and not just think, oh, there's a fire. He would say, oh, wait, God's talking to me through this. I look at the Israelites themselves being brought out of Egypt And if you do the math, it's like an 11-day trip walking and God taking him 40 years going through uh, generations where people who left Egypt in freedom never met the promised land because of things like disobedience. And, And I would pray, hey, I hope we get there tomorrow. But in hindsight, reading the word, I realized, oh, God had to do some stuff first. You might be sick and wondering why God's not instantly healing you. He's got some stuff to do that involves using something very uncomfortable. Well, why won't God just give me more money? I I don't know why he won't just give you more money, but I know he's going to do something in this opportunity that will refine you and and it will do one of two, two things. It will lead to bitterness 
a hardening of your heart, or it will lead to liberation. I have found that through my hardships financially, now this is just me speaking, hardships financially, I've learned to not rely upon my own strength. I've learned that it's not about how many dollars I can make because I can only make so many. It's not about how strong my back can be because my back's only so strong. I've learned that at the end of the day, my supply and my increase is supplied by the Lord. And so I can trust in him. Now, I still do the work and I still try to earn an income. That's a good thing. You should be doing that too if you can. But you have to have this resolve at the end that, man, when I'm all done, the Lord just keeps going. He is not stopping when I stop. He is not limited by what I can and can't do. He will supply every need that I have according to his riches and glory. And that didn't come by giving me lots of stuff. That came by, 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 by kind of, you know, those floodgates of heaven just kind of being narrowed a little bit and just getting enough for each day. That, that manna, if you will, proverbially, proverbially speaking, proverbially speaking, metaphorically speaking, is what I'm trying to say. Um, the manna for the day has led to an, uh, an increased reliance upon the Lord that he will provide for me. You're sick. It's going to make you well. Might not happen today. Might not happen tomorrow. It might happen instantaneously. Here's the thing. Miracles happen because God is the God of miracles. And from God's perspective, it's not really miraculous. I mean, he just is doing his thing. That's what he does. For us, it's miraculous. And he might heal you instantaneously, or he might heal you in two weeks, or he may heal you by bringing you back to him. By healing you through the greatest of healing, which is transforming this life into the next, you know, dying physically so that you might be with him in the spirit. Now all that to say, prayer is just speaking to God. John 14 and 6 says this, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Um, in this discourse, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And so he's addressing them personally about how access to the Father, God the Father, um, was only through him. And there's a, there's a, a false teaching in the church that, that the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, was something that was created in the New Testament, in the Gospels. Understand that when Jesus begins to talk to these Jewish men about the Father, about the Holy Spirit, they know exactly what he's talking about. Because the Jews understood the concept of God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. They, they knew this verbiage was not foreign to them. And he said, you know, God the Father, there's only one way to get to him, and that's through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. What he is saying is that every other avenue outside of Christ is a dead end. There is not a, a, we do not believe in, in, in pluralism. There are multiple gods and multiple deities. We believe that there is one true God in the Trinitarian form, Father, Son, Spirit, equal yet different functions. It messes with your head, but how to, how to kind of keep that all balanced, the Lord does. It's not your job to keep it balanced. It's your job to have faith and believe. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. That's a really big claim, right? I mean, we, we have a hard time going out there and, and saying that. But Jesus himself stands up to his disciples and says, look, it's only through me, not through my example, not through my teaching, but through me. When Jesus is crucified, 
The Holy of Holies, this big, thick, giant, elaborately made curtain is torn in two. The Greek word there is the same word that we use for schizophrenia, the, the breaking completely, solidly, entirely. It was opened up so that, so that all now have access to God. All now can come in repentance, accepting the mercy and grace through Jesus Christ to have communion with God, with God the Father. Prayer, as we teach it here at the chapel, based on what the word of God says, um, prayer specific to God, Jehovah God, through Jesus and his sacrifice, by the power of the Holy Spirit. But how that is exemplified might look different. So all of us must go in the same manner, meaning we go to the same God, through the same Savior, by the same power, but how that's going to look individually might be different person to person. This means some of us might like to stand as we pray. Some of us might like to sit. Some of us might like to kneel. Some of us might fall prostrate. Prostrate? Nope, that's not the right word. (laughs) Prostrates. Big difference. (laughs) One letter can make a huge difference in a word. Prostrate, meaning face down, flat on the floor, just broken before God. I am, I am, I can't even stand before you, Lord. I'm just going to lay on my face and pray. Which one of those is right? Yes. All of them, you can use all of those to approach the Lord. All of them are found in the word of God and how you do each one is really pertains to your attitude at the time. I mean, for somebody who's really joyous and like, oh Lord, I can't believe he did that. You might be standing when you do that or jumping or pumping your fists or high-fiving somebody near you. But when they say, you know, we gotta do some more testing, it might be cancer. You might be flat on your face before the Lord saying, Lord, let this cup pass. Please don't let it be cancer. I'm trusting you. You you might not be jumping and pumping your fists at that time. You might be confused as to what to pray for. So you might be sitting and reading the word and contemplating and, like, Lord, I don't even know what to pray for. Lord, teach me to pray about this situation and how I, how I should be praying for it. Prayer can be audible or silent. One of my favorite prayers of all the Bible is Hannah's prayer before the Lord in 1 Samuel. She wants to have a baby so bad. She's involved in a polygamous relationship, meaning her husband has multiple wives. And the other wife is just keeps, it's like a rabbit. She just keeps having kid after kid after kid. And she's barren. Hannah's barren. And she's come, and she's come to the temple every year. And she's come to the altar. And she's just asked the Lord, Lord, please give me a baby. And then, and then one day she comes and she prays. But when she's praying, she's just doing this. There's no words coming out. The high priest at the time thinks she's drunk. Drunk at the temple out of her mind because of alcohol. And she explains to him later, no, I was just praying. He couldn't hear her words, but the Lord could hear her her words. Ultimately, she does have a baby. She has a little boy named Samuel whom she dedicates back to God, brings him back to the temple one day. When When he's ready, when he's weaned and he's ready to become a man, she brings him to the temple and says, okay, God, he belongs to you. He becomes a mighty prophet of the Lord, a judge of Israel. All that to say, she, the words that she spoke before, 
They were heard, but even when she didn't say anything, she just mouthed the words, they were heard. In Nehemiah chapter one, Nehemiah, he's a cupbearer to the Lord and he's distressed because his hometown is destroyed. I mean, imagine going back to your hometown and finding that the, the old market, they went out of business, the local factory that employed everybody is gone and, and, and the roads are tore up and, and you know there's crime everywhere and nobody has any hope and you're just like, man, what happened to this place? And you're just brokenhearted and you just think to yourself, man, if there's just something I could do to fix this, I would just be all over it. That's what Nehemiah, that's what happened. He went to Jerusalem. He saw people were just shells of human beings. The walls were torn down. The temple was gone. I mean, it was just barren, like Mad Max, apocalyptic, gone. He's like, this is my hometown. I just want, I want to fix it. So he went back to the Lord. He fasted and prayed. And then one moment, one day, the king sees him. He's, he can't help hide his sadness any longer and and the king says why why are you so downcast why the long face nehemiah says that nehemiah prayed not audibly internally there's a quick oh gosh i'm gonna say this and you gotta understand for nehemiah to go before his king sad could have resulted in his death i mean being in the presence of the king should make everybody happy and if you're not happy, even being the guy that's got to test the food and drink to make sure the king doesn't get poisoned, you, I mean, you should be happy all the time in the presence of the king. But this king, God moves through him and says, hey, wh- what's going on? And, and, and Nehemiah takes this risk, prays first, internally. Then you have Jesus. You have Jesus telling his disciples how to pray through the, through the Lord's prayer. Audible, out loud. He tells them, pray in secret. He tells them, pray with others to pray together. He prays with other people. He goes off, he prays by himself with nobody else there. Here, here's my point. When, you are, when your intent is to speak to the Lord through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit according to the will expressed in his word, how you do so really is second to that. When you come in authenticity, when you come with a contrite heart, when you come with joy, when you come jubilant, when you come just broken and hurt, you might come, on, come you know, face down, you might be standing, you might be out loud, it might just be contemplative, it, it, it might be eyes closed, hands clasped, it might be hands up, giving up, all of those things. Yes, you can do all of those things to pray. All of those things are found in the word as examples for us to learn from. Even when Jesus tells the disciples, how to pray through the Lord's Prayer. It's the result of them asking him, how do we pray? He says, look at the, look at the Pharisees. Look at their hypocritical nature. Look how they, they love to stand on street corners and stand on boxes and lift their hands up and let everybody see how they're praying. He says they have their reward because what they truly want, no matter what they're praying for, what they want is attention. What they want is for men to go, wow, did you see uh, you know, Rabbi Jim over there? Like, he's a really spiritual guy. Him and God are like this. That's what they want and that's what they get. They get their reward, Jesus says. What they're praying for, they don't get because they don't care. It does not matter. He uses that as a warning to us, like why are we praying? Are we praying because we wanna see something happen in the lives of ourselves or others or are we looking for the attention of man? Uh, I don't have anything, you know, prayer can be public, it can be private, it can be both, it should be both. 
We should pray together as a church. We should go home and pray individually. We should pray with our families and our kids. We should pray with our neighbors if they ask for prayer. We should just, hey, if we need to pray, we need to pray. There should be no limitation upon when or how or whatever. Matthew 6 and 5 says this, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. This is what we call our prayer closet, that secret place. Go into your room and shut the door and pray to the Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask of him, or before you ask him. Pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, their, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The beauty of the Lord's Prayer is in the approach to God. As a child approaches a father, Father who are in heaven or who art in heaven, you've probably memorized that. If you have, you did it in the King James. Awesome. That's a really, really great feat but just those first few words father coming to him as a dad maybe you didn't have a good relationship with your dad i'm finding more and more folks especially men who just had a really not great relationship with their dad it causes a hindrance in how you approach this god who who is to be approached as a father Statistically speaking, there are more single moms or single mom households today than there ever has been. There's more than, than, than um, you know, two in a household, a mom and a dad. And so there are more and more men or boys growing up to be men who have never seen a godly example of what it means to be a father and what it is to be a man. Some have had that privilege and if you had that's awesome, and you can kind of just go, oh, okay, I see, I see where God is going with this, and you, and you start to see your dad as a human, and you see that his foibles and his flaws, you go, oh, okay, he's just like me. And maybe you get to a place, too, where if you did have a father who was a really bad example, you could have that same mindset. You know, Man, dad, I don't know what I would have did in his situation. You know, whatever circumstances he found himself in to become a dad, he himself did. I mean, you start to have some grace and mercy not for sin committed against you, but for a human that you know, probably just did the best they could. But now more than ever, there are less and less men to look up to, especially within the church. And, and we men who are here, we need to step up and be an example. And when you see those kids go back there, remember that you are showing them what it looks like to be a godly man, a, a man whose heart is after God. And so how you pray and how you serve and how you love is going to last a lifetime, I mean, their lifetime. They're gonna remember you and how you served. So, you know, just a reality check. <laughs> just to, not to increase the burden, but to remember that what you do absolutely matters. But here's the thing about prayer. Here's the thing I wanna take home today. It's the thing that, all this other stuff, I mean, it's, it's technical. It's, 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 um, it's like textbook, you know? 
It's like a professor type of a thing where somebody can come and just, here's the technical aspects of prayer. It can be face down, standing up, and blah, blah, blah. But here's the part I really want you to take home, and I believe it's the message for us to kind of hold on to today. Prayer is faith in action. Your act of prayer, when you go to the Lord, as he has prescribed you to do, I want you to see that is your faith in action. You have gone to the Lord because you believe what he has said. You understand he is the Almighty, that he has done all things, given you all things, that he loves you with a great love, and now your faith is being exercised by praying to him, and he sees that in you. If you've ever wondered, do I have enough faith? And Jesus talks about this faith that's the size of a mustard seed and mountains moving, and I always am like, well, I don't know if I have that, even that much faith, because I couldn't get any mountains to move. There's mornings where I can't get myself out of bed, let alone move a mountain. I must not have a mustard-sized grain of faith. Mine must be like half of that or a quarter. But as I read the word, I understand that these people kept coming to Jesus. They kept, they, men like Paul and Peter, and they kept going to the Lord because their faith showed them who God was. Church, we believe prayer it is absolutely 100% essential. I liken it to a three-legged stool. This is a four-legged stool, but in the church, we have these, these it's like a stool that's three-legged, and one leg is, is, is church itself, uh, congregating together, being with the church. The other is reading the word, and the other is prayer. You take any one of those out, and the, the, the three-legged stool is gonna topple. But if you have those three things happening in your life, prayer, church, Bible, you start to see the Lord do some amazing things. You start to see, excuse me, you start to see, I don't want to say victory in the sense of always getting what you want, but you start to see you overcoming your previous life. And you indeed in that way see victory. I want you to know today that the Lord loves you so much that he sent his only begotten, to, begotten son to die on your behalf. That instead of dying for your sins, personally, you dying for your sins, Jesus stood between you and the wrath of God. That now you have this liberty, this freedom to enter into his presence through the sacrifice of Jesus to just talk to God. God, how are you doing? That sounds like a weird question to ask God, right? Like of all the things you're gonna ask him, how are you doing? He's probably doing good. I mean, just all, all things considered. But prayer is not so much about a laundry list of things we need God to do. It's about talking to him. Lord, you know, this is why this bugs me, Lord. This happened and that happened. What do I do? Lord, here's one I have frequently. Lord, I can't believe I was so hard on my son slash daughter today. I think about you and you're so loving and kind with me. Please help me to repent of that. Help me to walk back from that. I, I, I hit with, I'm hit with this reality all the time. I'm the last person I want to mess up my kids and I know that I have the most influence over them to mess them up in that way. It's a really fine line. Lord, I said something really stupid to my wife. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. That was dumb. Oh, Lord, think about it like this. 
my daughter, she comes and gets in bed with us every morning. Just her thing. Um, I get out of bed. I'm, I'm getting my stuff together for church. She pops out of bed. Dad? What? Who is the second president of the United States? No joke. Literally, and she, her hair is all, and I'm like, John Adams, I think. So I pull out my phone. I'm like, Siri, who is the second president? And I says, John Quincy Adams, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, who's John Adams? Oh, okay. Why? I was just wondering. <laughs> and I thought, that's prayer. That's coming to the Father with no agenda, with no make God do what I want, answer my prayer specifically how I want it. I just want to talk to Dad about who the second president of the United States is. Doesn't matter. My whole day is not hinged on whether or not she said that to me. But I tell you what, it kind of does. Because <laughs> it's, 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 it's a analogy now I'm using here during the sermon that I hadn't planned on using. Uh, but also, it just filled me with just this joy, this connection between her and I. That she had the freedom to come to me and ask me. That she had the faith that I would even know that. And she literally said, after George Washington, who was the second president? And I'm like, man, that's where you lost me. Like, I, I know George Washington. And then at 16 was Abraham Lincoln. And that's, you know, Reagan was like 41. I don't know, something like that. Like, that's basically all I've got. But she had the faith to ask me. And, and so when Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray, he's teaching them to pray like that, but just so much more. When you go to the Father, whether you go by yourself, in your prayer closet, nobody else hears you, nobody else knows your request, or you come to church and you say, you know what, this is happening and I need your help, or you run into somebody on the street and they're like, can you please pray for me, or, or just any circumstance or situation, this is how we approach God the Father. God does not hear you because of your many words. I've, I've talked to you about this before. My prayers probably are quicker than most of your prayers. I don't feel the need to say a bunch of stuff. I'm not here to bully or convince God to do what I want. I'm going to be ready to submit to what he wants. When you read in, in I think it's in 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah has this, the prophet Elijah has this big showdown with, with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. It's one of my favorite accounts of the whole Bible. He issues this challenge. Look, we're gonna set up two altars and the prophets of Baal are going to have one, and I'm going to have one. There had been a drought for years. You guys, set up this altar. What you're going to do is you're going to put a big pile of wood. You're going to kill a bull, put it on top, and then you're going to start praying that your God will set that on fire. Because any guy can set it on fire, but we're going to pray that God's, your God somehow lights it on fire. I'm going to do the same thing, and whoever's sacrifice gets lit first is the winner. I think if we could have a reality show like this, it would be really huge. So the prophets of Baal, they start praying. What do they do? They start begging and pleading and, and convincing their quote unquote God to send down fire from heaven to light this sacrifice. Never happens. If you read the King James Version, like not a modern King James Version. Like, go to like something from like the early 20th century, like turn of the century. You'll read that, I, uh, that the prophet Elijah starts saying, hey, scream louder. Maybe your God's on the toilet. That's literally what he says to him. 
And they're not like, and here's my favorite part. They're not like, shut up, Elijah. Like, you're dumb. You don't know what we're talking about. They're like, you know what? He might be right. It says that they start cutting themselves to spill blood to get the, get the attention of their God. Nothing works. So then it's Elijah's turn. What's he do? He goes and gets water. Who knows where he got it from because of the drought. He drenches the wood. I don't know if you've ever tried to light wet wood. It doesn't really happen that easily. And he digs a trench around it, fills that with water. And then he just prays a simple prayer. Fire comes down from heaven, consumes everything, the rocks, the wood, the bull, everything. And then they kill the prophets of Baal. All their words did nothing was not the will of God. They weren't even praying to the right God to begin with. Elijah, few simple words, boom. Doesn't guarantee, now God wanted to do that. It's not as though Elijah decided one day, I'm gonna make God perform for me like a magician. That's not what happened. But he didn't spend all day, God, you gotta, you gotta do it. You gotta come through, man. If you don't do this, I don't know what I'm gonna do. There is this confidence in the Lord, that even if he didn't show up, everything was going to be okay. For Shadrach, Meshach, Meshach, and Abednego, we're not bowing down to your golden statue. God can save us from the furnace, but even if he doesn't, I'm still not bowing down to your dumb, stupid idol. You know what? Doctor, it might be cancer. I'm praying, Lord, that it's not cancer, but even if it, even if it, even if it is, I'm still not bowing to fear. I'm still not bowing to the enemy. I said this earlier. I don't believe Satan has gone around making everybody sick. What I believe is that people have gotten sick because we live in a fallen world because of, you know, sin and that sort of thing. But Satan's trying to capitalize on that. You know why you're sick? Because of this. You know why, you know why you're sick? Uh, this, that, and the other thing. God doesn't love you. See how he healed that person and that person? He's not healing you. It means he doesn't love you. God's a lie. God's a fire. I mean, he's just lying to you. Here's the truth. The people we know and love, they're going to get better. Amen. They will. Before we know it. Soon it will be spring. For like 45 minutes. And then it will be summer. <laughs> and and we'll, we'll be filled with hope again. And hopefully it's not based on the weather. I really hope it's based on just an awakening and that the Lord just kind of opens our eyes. But here's, here's the duty for us as Christians, church. Our, our command is to pray. To pray to, to God the Father, not because we can't have others pray for us. We absolutely can. But Jesus died so that you could go straight to him. Jesus died that he's the mediator between you and God the Father. Not, not me, not your super spiritual friend, not Billy Graham, not this person, not that. Those people pray for you, great but your prayers are heard because God loves you. Your prayers are heard because you are covered in the blood of Jesus. As gory and graphic as that sounds, what that means is you have been cleansed by the sacrifice of God from your sin. That though your sins were like scarlet, the prophet Isaiah says, you are now made white as snow. Today you are heard not for your many words, not for how much you gave, not because of who's praying with you. You are heard today because God's ear is tuned to you. He might answer in a way that you do not like. He might answer in a way that scares you. But he answers his children in the same way that a father answers a son or daughter. 
he answers you. Yes, no, not now, wait, be still. You're going to get that one a lot. Be still, know that I am God. But the mortgage, be still and know that I am God. But my health, be still and know that I am God. But this person, be still. But the president, be still. But this, be still. And know that I am God. Another way to say that, be still and know that you're not in control. Prayer is not taking control of God. Prayer is being controlled by God. Relinquishing, submitting through faith yourself to him. That's what the Bible teaches us. That's what we believe and that's what we teach. So now we're gonna pray. It'd be kind of foolish to talk about prayer and then not pray, right? I mean, let's get down to some prayer. Wednesday nights, we pray. We've had to cancel the last couple of Wednesdays. We absolutely will have church come heck or high water this Wednesday. Um, You know, unless, of course, something comes up. Um, on Wednesday, and one of the things we focus on is prayer. We've picked up our James Bible study. We're going back through the book of James, starting in chapter two. Uh, we'll be here, and you can pray with us. We, we share prayer requests, and we come together collectively. Sometimes there's three of us. Sometimes there's eight of us. That's generally about how many people we have. It's not a big gathering. Um, everybody's welcome to come. On Wednesdays also, you can gather at Mike and Lucy's house. This week, I would I would kind of be like, keep your ear to the ground because they're all sick today. So we want to make sure by Wednesday they're still well. But they have their small group. They're, they're people that don't come here on Sundays go there on Wednesdays. You meet a whole new group of people. We love them and glad that Mike and Lucy opened up their house in that way. But my point is this. We get together. We pray for one another. We connect in that way. I feel disconnected from the church start praying with people in the church, you'll start feeling connected really fast. I can't think of another way that I've ever felt connected to a church faster than someone saying, well then, can I pray for you? Let's pray about that. Let me pray for you. Let me put my hand on your shoulder. Let me, let's pray together. Let's get some other saints around us. Let's just pray about this. I start feeling connected really fast. If you don't feel connected, come to church. Let us pray with you. Pray for others. Maybe you don't want to bring your prayer request to people. Well, then keep your ear to the ground. This person said, well, can I pray for you? My prayers aren't great. They're not eloquent. None of us are. (laughs) None of our prayers are. That's the point. Like, they're not supposed to be. You don't need to use the King James English or say the word Father 500 times. You just got to go and say, God, this hurts and I don't like it. What can we do about this? Be still and know that I'm God. Okay, I'm going to be still. I'm going to go get some coffee, and read my Bible and be still. If you, and we're gonna pray and then we'll have some Q&A. If everybody's okay with that, then we'll go home. Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, through your sacrifice, straight to the throne room of God, we've come. Your word tells us not to think about all the words we're gonna say to pray. So the last thing I want to do, Lord, is roll out this long scroll of a prayer. We simply want to pray together, Lord. Help us to see prayer in the way that you have prescribed it for us. As children coming to the Father, sitting on his lap, making our requests made known to him, praying that his will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. 
that we'd forgive others, that we'd be protected, that we'd have what we need daily, and that your name would be holy, hallowed in our lives, not taken in vain, not used like any other word, but revered, loved, and honored. Lord, truth be told, there's some of us here, we have prayer requests. They're huge. Without your intervention and without you doing something, we have no hope. But Lord, I think that's the point. Our hope is to be placed in you. Even when there are avenues we can see, we should look to you as the only avenue. If you decide to heal us with medicine, awesome. Heal us with doctors and procedures, that's great. If you decide to heal us by your touch miraculously in a moment, we like that too. If, if money comes from nowhere, awesome. If you give us more overtime at work, great. Father, your will be done here in our lives as your will is done in heaven. And may our lives glorify Jesus. May we not need to hype up our relationship with you May people see us in our relationship with you and see something different. See a hope that's not found anywhere else. And may Jesus, may your name be glorified. May it be your name that receives all of the glory. Your word says that as the serpent in the Old Testament was lifted up on the pole, that anybody who looked upon the serpent was healed, that the Son of Man was lifted up, that all who look upon him would be saved. That's what we desire, Lord. Help us to keep lifting up the name of Jesus that more and more and more might be saved. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right.